Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Church, we are at the halfway point of our series through the book of Genesis. Uh, I don't know if you're as blown away as I am, but this series feels like it is just flying by. And, uh, And maybe it's just because I love the book of Genesis so much. I'm having a hard time not just stopping and picking out the details and spending probably the rest of the year or more here. Uh, But I told you, I told you we'd do it in eight weeks. So I think I have to be true to that since that's what I told you that we're going to do. So we're still moving for eight weeks. That's what we're going to do. So the first half of the series, we focused on four major events covered in the book of Genesis. Uh, Those were creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel, right? And so we've hit all four of those now, and we're picking up the second half. Those stories were pointed towards the entrance of sin into creation and how quickly it took over humanity. But now in the second half of the series, we're going to cover four major people of the book of Genesis and how God used these people to prepare creation for the coming Messiah. So the first half is that deep dive down into sin and despair and honestly looking like hopelessness, while the second half is going to be the rise of the promise of the coming Messiah who would make all things right. And uh, we keep looking back to that picture of Eden to see what can be the future for humanity. So uh, as we jump into the second half of the book of Genesis, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along, You're welcome to do so, or it'll just be on the bottom of the screen here for you. But we're going to kick it off in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, we start to see what's happening with God and this new person who we're being introduced to. And in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 12, we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the entire calling of Abram. Uh, or whose name is later changed to Abraham. So if you're used to the the name Abraham, keep that in mind, but I'm going to keep calling him Abram because, well, where we're reading about him right now, he's Abram. So um, this is his calling here. This is God calling him to do something. And uh, we're going to move around and focus on little parts of this calling, even though we just read the whole thing, because it's really important for us to understand What exactly is going on here for us to be able to understand actually the rest of the Bible, not even Genesis, but the rest of the Bible is being built on this moment that we just read in these three verses. The whole coming of Jesus and everything that he does, the work of Israel, the work of the church, everything that we read about hinges 
on this calling. So we're going to break this down so that we can understand what the rest of the Bible is all about. And so I love the first bit of this call in a way that I sometimes hate it, right? Because it seems like God still likes to call people in this sort of way. He calls Abram and he says to him, go from your country, right? That's what he tells him. He says, go, leave. He calls Abraham and Abram and just tells him to go. He doesn't tell him where. He doesn't tell him uh, what to pack. He doesn't tell him what he's going to do when he gets there. He just says, go, right? I'll tell you where you're going once you start going. But first, trust me and go. And in his telling him to go, he tells Abram to leave everything that he knows, to leave his country, his people, his father's household. You know, if you were to look at your own life, these are all the things that make you comfortable. These are all the things that we rely on, that we expect to take care of us. Think about it. We're terrified of our country changing. We're terrified of social rejection. We're terrified of losing our family. We find security in these things. But I think more important is that we have a tendency to find identity in these things. If I'm not American, what am I? Right? Uh, My people are within the church. And if I'm not a pastor, then what am I? If I don't hold the last name Kurtz, then who am I? These are what I build my identity on. And it would be easy to look at this and think that God is potentially setting Abram up for failure. But that's why I think this is so important for us to notice here in this moment. Because God is actually setting Abram up for success. Success that can be found in his identity being found in Christ instead of himself and everything that he knows. Listen, friend. God made you for a unique purpose. Think of all the people that God could have made for this world. The scientists to cure diseases, uh, the, the artists to personify love, the leaders who could bring lasting revolution for good. And yet, here you are. God chose you. God made you. And he has a distinct purpose for your life. But for you to fulfill that purpose, you have to let go of the things that you think define you. And you have to start allowing Christ to define you. This all hinges on the understanding that we have to let go of the things that we think define us. And we have to let go of the things that we're holding on to because God is telling us to go. He's given us a purpose and he's sending us into it. But some of us are too blind or too deaf to even know that we're being sent because we're too fixated on ourselves. See, let's go back to what we were reading in Genesis 12. And in verse 2, God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Last week, 
Philip spoke on the Tower of Babel, uh, and he showed us that one of the primary purposes of the passage, it wasn't to show us that there was a tower, right? But it was to show us that the people didn't trust God, and they were working to make a name for themselves. Remember, that was Genesis chapter 11, and now we're in chapter 12. We've moved forward one chapter, and we see God talking about making names great. But it's not coming through anything that we do, and it's not through the means that we would traditionally think. You know, I've told the story before uh, that there was a time in my life, actually shortly before I started pastoring, that I pursued a career in law enforcement. And I had lots of justifications for the reasons that I would pursue a career in law enforcement. Uh, But there was actually one big reason. I come from a very conservative family who uh, very much respects law enforcement and first responders. And I had a cousin who had become a firefighter and I saw the family's response to that. This guy was suddenly a hero. He didn't even have to do anything. He just needed to have the job and he was a hero. And his twin brother uh, was actually pursuing law enforcement too. So I knew this was my shot. If I ever wanted my family to notice me and see me for the hero that I think that I am, then I would have to get that job in law enforcement over him. So I dove in and I worked to get that job. And you can probably guess, I never got it. Um, Those are the only interviews that I've ever not gotten any callback on at all, or even gotten a callback telling me just how unqualified I am. And uh, the funny part of the story is actually the agency that I first applied at is the one that ended up hiring my cousin, the twin brother of the firefighter. So how's that for irony? Uh, I think that was God just trying to be very clear with something that he was telling me. But uh, but see, the point was that I was working hard, really hard, to try and make a name for myself. When my family said my name, I wanted them to respect me. I wanted them to be proud of me. I wanted them to brag about me to their neighbors. It Honestly, it was all selfish. It was to make a name for myself. I was pursuing a life that would probably honestly make me miserable all to get satisfaction that in the end would never really bring me satisfaction. And what's happening here is that we just read about all the people on the earth trying to make a name for themselves with the Tower of Babel trying to get that satisfaction that if, if they only knew, in the end, would never satisfy them. They thought they had it all figured out. The best way to create a lasting legacy would be to get God to work for you. And, and hey, maybe they were on to something. Because if you can get God to work for you, then, well, who's really God, right? So they they had this all figured out. It was all going to work. It was all going to be great. But we know that's not how the story worked out. God took control of the situation and the people of the story were forgotten. Their tower, to some degree, 
was remembered, but their names were not. The people, the individuals, weren't. They weren't remembered. Then God meets this guy named Abram, and he tells him, go. (laughs) He just tells him to go, which I still laugh at because it would be such a terrifying thing to be told by God. Like, look around at the life you have and everything that you you know, and imagine if God just met you one day and said, get out. Just, where am I going? No, no, no. Just go. Leave. Go. Get out. Come on. Like, that's terrifying. But that's what he tells Abram. He tells him uh, to just go. Leave everything that you know and go until I say stop. And in the process, God tells Abram that he will make his name great, that he will have a name that will be remembered. And what's funny about that is here we are talking about the name of one man. And sure, we know some details of the things that Abram did, but what we really know him for is being the father of a great nation. It's for what God did through him and not for what Abram was able to accomplish that we remember him. Listen, church, God will bless you. He will work through you to accomplish incredible things, but he's going to do it on his terms. God will never work on the terms that you lay out for him. And for good reason, they're bad terms. Like no matter how you slice it, we try and come up with our own terms. We try and come up with the things that we think will be best. We have no idea. See, we know what we want, but we don't know what's good for us. God is passionately in love with you and wants incredible things for your life, but he's going to do it on his terms because he knows what's best for you. And that means that just like Abram, the key element is first letting go of the things that you know and allowing God to take you in to the unknown. And I can tell you, the stepping out into the unknown is difficult. I can tell you that when God says to keep walking and you can't see the ground in front of you, it's terrifying. But that's where we fall back on the goodness of God and what we know about God, that he's never let us down before. And we hold on to that and we step out and we step into something new. And instead of working to make our name great, we allow God to start doing something new. See, we have this tendency to think that we'll be, that, that we'll be great and if And everyone, if we are great, that everyone will want to be just like us, right? If they look up to us and idolize us, that's somewhere in our minds, there's something selfish that wants this. But God doesn't want everyone to be like you. In fact, God wants to radically transform you into something completely different than how you were born into this world. He wants to change you, and he wants to change those who are looking at you. And and keep looking at this. We're going to go back again to Genesis chapter 12, and this time in verse 3. God says to Abram, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And key in here, 
all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is the most important part of the whole calling of Abram. God may not have told Abram exactly what to do, but he did tell Abram what God was going to do. So we start the Bible with God creating humanity and wanting to rule humanity and to bring a blessing to the entire world. And that falls apart. It ends up falling apart so badly that God brings the flood to wipe out humanity. Humanity starts to flourish on the earth again, and they decide to rebel again. And so God uh, disperses and confuses everyone and leaves us to some degree wondering how God could possibly interact with the whole creation now that there's so much division. But then comes Abram, some guy who all we know about him is his family, who we know nothing about. And God tells Abram that every person on the planet will be blessed because of him. There will be unity again. When my wife and I bought our house, we were actually very specific about how we wanted to go about choosing a house. We wanted to purchase a house that uh, we could use for kingdom purposes. We wanted to use it for small groups, for inviting people over for dinner. Specifically, we wanted to make sure that our children grew up seeing people who didn't look like them, who didn't think like them, who didn't act like them, because we wanted them to be able to see that even though we have all of these differences, we can still find unity in Jesus. And we honestly felt that one of the best ways to do that was to bring people around the dinner table because, well, let's be honest. People are way more likely to do anything if there's food involved. <laughs> That's just reality. But then I look at the calling of Abram, and it's a little different because Abram wasn't inviting anyone to his house. He was actually going to other people's houses. But it was the same intent. God's call to Abram was a call was to call a family to reach families to bring them into the family of God. The unfortunate reality is that we see Abram mistreat other cultures. We see Abram abuse his family. We see Abram respond to fear and respond in a way that would ultimately protect his name or so he thought. But fortunately, we're promised that there was one who would be better than Abram. There was a Messiah promised who would ultimately fulfill that promise of all people on the earth being blessed through the family of Abram. And that man was Jesus. And I want you to see this fulfillment. So uh, we're, we're at the, the front half of our Bibles here. We're going to flip all the way to the back side of your Bible now. And we're going to look at the book of Revelation chapter 7. Genesis is the first book. Revelation's the last. And so we see the promise and I want us to see the fulfillment. Revelation 7. And we're going to start verses 2 through 4, but we're going to keep going. So, so keep your finger there. Revelation 7, 2 through 4. It says, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. 
Okay. All the sons and daughters of Abram are being sealed. The children of Israel. But then they list 12,000 from each of the sons of Israel. And, and it's supposed to number 144,000. But look at this. So many people miss this. See this. We're going to skip down after they list 12,000 from this, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000, right? We're going to skip through that and down and we're going to skip to verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 7. And it says this, John is giving this revelation and he says, after this, I looked. He wants to see the 144,000. He looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So the angels list all of the 144,000 and John turns to see him and he's blown away because he doesn't see 144,000. Instead, Standing where he expected to see that, he sees a multitude so massive that he says no one could count them. He then says something really important. He sees people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And each of these people were united. They were all wearing white robes and waving palm branches and crying out in the top of their lungs, praising God in unison. Church, this is the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abram when he was called by God. This is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12. This is the fullness of the promise that all nations would be blessed through Abram's family. This is ultimately the culture that we're to look forward to. And I want you to see and understand something. Because we have a tendency to want everyone to look just like me. We have missionaries that go out into other cultures and teach them how to act like good Americans. But that's never been the goal. The goal is to teach them how to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And we see exactly that in Revelation, in this Revelation that John wrote down. There were still different nations. There were still different people groups. There were still different languages. But through the power of the cross, they had all been united in a love for Jesus. See, Abram never got to see the fulfillment of the promise that God made to him. But we know that it's coming. We've read the end of the story and see that God will redeem all people to himself, regardless of ethnicity, language, or culture. It's all simply based uh, that every human being to ever live has been made in the image of God, and that gives them intrinsic value. So what, have, what does all of this mean for us? We know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that was originally made in the calling of Abram. But we as the church, we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that means that we bring blessing to the nations, to all people. That means that in the same way that Jesus would, we bring healing for the hurting, justice for the oppressed, and a voice to the voiceless. I find that the question that helps is this. What would love require of me? What would love require of me? Love 
results in action. Love isn't just thinking different. Love isn't just feeling different. Love is acting different. And so what would love require of me? See, with all of the injustices that we see and that bother us, I believe that there is a reason that God gave you a vision for those injustices. See, some of us really see racial injustices and we cling on to those. Some of us see government oppression and we cling on to that. Some see sexual crimes. Some see other things. But I believe that it's time for the church to stop just getting angry about these things and actually mobilize and take action to see God's will be done on earth as in heaven. We will work towards the promise of Revelation 7. Every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, praising God in unity. You see those injustices. And for the, one person can't do everything. So for the injustices that you see, that God has pierced your heart with, what does love require of you? How can you work to see the promise of Genesis 12 fulfilled as we see it in Revelation 7? And let me say this. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, that's step one. He can free you from oppression, whether it be oppression of guilt, despair, anger, bitterness, or whatever it might be. You are welcomed in to the family where you will be loved more than you ever thought possible. And so I want to lead you in a prayer this morning, if that's you. And uh, I give you the opportunity to pray along with me, but you have to pray this in your heart. You have to mean this. You have to make Jesus your Lord. It's not just some magic words. And so uh, let's pray this morning. And I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you for sending Jesus to reconcile us, to reconcile me, Thank you for his death on the cross and for his resurrection from the grave, defeating death. And God, this morning, I confess you as my Lord. You are king of my life and I will follow you all of my days. God, I am sorry for the way that I have lived my life, for the sin in my life, and for trying to do life on my own. But today, Jesus, you are my king and I will follow you all the days of my life. I am committed to you, Jesus, and to your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. And please, if, if you prayed that prayer this morning, if that was you stepping into relationship with Jesus for the first time, please reach out to us so we can pray with you uh, so that we can get to know you and encourage you. You can reach out to us on whatever platform you may be watching this sermon on, uh, or you can email us directly at portervillefirstbaptist at gmail.com. And we'd love to continue this conversation with you. Uh, but aside from that church, thank you again. And we'll see you next week.